Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn, if you will. Uh, it's written in your bulletin uh, or printed in your bulletin, but you can turn in a Bible on, online or in your hand uh, to the book of 2 John. It's towards the back of the Bible. It's in those last little sections. Uh, John wrote three. The Apostle John wrote the, his gospel, and then he wrote three epistles, three letters to the church over a period of time, two of which uh, we're going to look at this week, one next week, one, the, that are only one chapter, that are just number of verses uh, old or long uh, in this process. And we're, uh, we're doing a series this, uh, this month called uh, Small But Mighty, and they are small, but they are, have a mighty message to them. And we're going to read this section, this passage, this entire book in one sitting this morning. So follow along if you can, and I'll read it out loud as we look at this uh, letter from the Apostle, which, uh, which traditionally John the Apostle is known as the Apostle of Love. So we're going to read his letter, uh, an epistle, uh, a letter of love. So let's read together. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me the greatest joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am writing to you not a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, and any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have Christ. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your home, into your house, or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I don't, do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister, send their greetings. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you be with us this morning. Guide us into you, the truths of your word. Guide us into its understanding at our, in our hearts and in our will. Do that for your namesake. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I have to admit that there was a certain, uh, there was a certain poignancy to the final words that John puts down here in the light of our pandemic, when he says that I don't want to write letters, I want to come see you, uh, and that I want to talk to you face to face, <laughs> there's a sense where I feel that same way. And he says that, that joy is made perfect in that, that, that my joy is complete when I'm face to face with you, when I can do this face to face. And until, and until these doggone masks are gone, that's not going to happen. So we're st we still got more joy to come. 
it's very joyful to see your eyes and to, and to see the smile come through. Uh, but we got more to come uh, when the days uh, are gone. That, that, and we'll look back on this as a brief memory. So forgive me while I make it easier to do this for the minute. The thing about this letter, it's short. Uh, it's short, and you might think, you know, short letters are, short letters are, uh, are easier. Short letters are simple. Um, you know, when you, you know, a thank you note, you get a little short thank you note. It's a, it's simple. It's, it's clear. It's, it's, it's brief, uh, succinct in some fashion. Um, but often that's not the case because uh, the best authors. Um, I remember, I remember uh, hearing this about uh, Charles Dickens, one of my favorite authors. Charles Dickens would write some of the most densely packed paragraphs. I think there was a, the, at the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities, he wrote, uh, there was a hundred word sentence, a hundred word sentence, I think, and our teacher asked us to write a hundred word sentence. Oh my goodness. Um, densely packed, you know, uh, uh, I, I remember hearing that in, in, even in history, you know, um, two speakers spoke at the dedication of the cemetery in Gettysburg on the day they dedicated it. One guy spoke for an hour and a half or thereabouts, and, and, and President Lincoln spoke for three and a half minutes. I don't know how many words, I know I should know how many words the Gettysburg Address is, but it's very tiny. Dense, dense, however. Very dense, very, very, very deep. Every word has meaning. Every element has truth, has some significance. They're carefully chosen. There's a sense where when you read John... John, John's careful with his words. He's, he's, um, he's dense with his, with his meaning in these capacities. We know, we kind of know that it's John. We, you know, we, the, the, he writes his letters the same way he writes his biographies. Always full of metaphor. You know, John, John the Gospel starts out by talking about Jesus in terms of uh, light. And the light came into the world, and the world was full of darkness, and, and the flesh became, or, or the spirit became flesh. And he, he's using these metaphoric, and, and, he, and he emphasizes the Lamb of God in, uh, you know, in the book of John. There's all, all these metaphoric references to the person of Jesus. That's how, he, that's how his gospel differs, just a lot more metaphor. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are more literal. They're more they're more concrete in their language. John is more, more grand and more, more, uh, more picturesque in his language. And so we have a picturesque. He's writing a letter to the whole church, but he, calls it, he talks about the church being the lady. He says, he says, to the chosen lady and her children. What, what beautiful way to talk about a church. Jesus is the one who invented that image. He talked about the church being his bride. Uh, beautiful language. You know, my daughter's going to be getting married soon, and so I'm thinking bride and wedding language. I'm thinking the the and she's working on all the details and and getting her dress together and getting her location. And we're trying to do all of this in a limited, you know, uh, safe capacity during the time of the pandemic. It's the one of the hardest, most glorious things you've ever done in your life. And but to, but just to to refer to, to he's referring to the bride of Christ and her and her children. It's a family image. Jesus is the, the father, the, the groom, the savior, 
the friend, the bride of Christ. They see John's picturesque language here. And then he's going to talk about, then he's going to talk about something, one of the most beautiful, one of the most simple, one of the most intricate and complex topics humanity has. Love. Uh, love's complicated. Have you ever been in love? I mean, I, I, I ask that. I ask that, you know, <laughs> facetiously. Uh, I think everybody in the room has been in love in some capacity, whether it was with your mom or your dad or whether it was with a friend or whether it's with some, some other person that you long to have some deeper romantic connection with. Maybe, maybe you loved and lost. Maybe you, maybe you loved and, didn't, and it was unrequited. Maybe you loved and it was deep and, deep and abiding. I don't know, but everybody's been in love. And it's both the most simple thing in the world to surrender to and the most complicated, bewildering, befuddling thing I have ever been experienced to. And I've been in love with the same woman for over 30 years, in and out of it. I've told you before, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, there's, a, there's a singing group that's, that's, that, that would pass through. They, they, they existed called the Civil Wars, and they, they were... They did a couple of albums, and then they dispersed. It was a duet. And they wrote a song called Poison and Wine. It's about love. Poison and Wine. It's, love is this great, euphoric, drunken experience like wine, but it's also poison. It, the person I love the most and the person I hate the most are the same person. Because I can. Because... The intimacy gets me to that place. The, and John, in his letter, in his letter, he says, the reason I'm writing the letter is, it's right, it's right there in, in verse 5. He says, and now, dear lady, my dear love, my dear lady, my dear bride, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. This has been from the beginning. I'm, not, I'm writing you the same command, and, and I ask that, you lo- that we love one another. I'm right, this whole letter is about love. But it's complicated. <laughs> and part of the reason I believe in Christianity is because Christianity doesn't truncate, doesn't simplify, doesn't flatten out, doesn't make, doesn't, doesn't make a complicated thing easy. It doesn't make a complicated thing seem simple. There are simplicities. There are easier things. There are things that, about love and about Christianity and about a relationship with God that are, that are simple, but they are equally as complicated. They, um, it, Jesus said, in order to have a relationship with me, it's just it, a child gets it. Just, it's, it's the faith of a child. But it's also the faith of a child. He spent telling us about it for thousands of years in the Scriptures, thousands of years over, over, over dozens of authors, 66 books, from top to bottom with complexity, we're, we've been talking about, the, the, the people of God have been talking about exploring that simple faith that a child can have without any sense of understanding and can surrender to, simple as a child's faith, as simple as a child's love, but complex depth. Just, it's complicated. And, and if you've ever read the book of John, book of Second John, if you read the, well, for that matter, if you've ever read... The epistle, the larger epistle, which precedes this, First John, five chapters, it's complicated. If you read the second, we just read it, and we're going to talk about the complication, and then the third one next week, get it again. 
complication. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a psychologist, Christian psychologist, who um, he'd spent a bunch of years doing marriage counseling, and he ran into the, a sim, he ran into a consistent uh, conundrum in his marriage counseling. He, they, he would do the marriage counseling, and one or the other of the partners would say, "I don't feel like they love me." And, that's, and then the conundrum, that's not a conundrum. That happens all the time. Um, and if you've ever been in a marriage or a friendship or a church where you just feel like you're not loved, uh, welcome to humanity. Uh, that's not the conundrum. The conundrum was that while one of the spouses said, I don't feel like they love me, the other of the spouse says, I'm doing everything I can. <laughs> I'm doing everything that I know how to do. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Now, granted, when someone says they don't love you or they don't, they don't feel loved, certainly they're not accurate in that understanding. And certainly when someone says, I'm doing everything I possibly can do, that's not accurate either. And so taking that into consideration, the counselor still is faced with this conundrum. How can there be a relationship where one person doesn't feel loved and the other person is doing everything they can? Something isn't right. And he began to do a study, of 20, he spent, and he had spent over 20 years in counseling, and he began to research wherein lay the conundrum, wherein lay, why is this the case? And then, he, and then he put all that together and authored a book called Love Languages. And he identified in all of that research five different conduits of love that existed or that he felt existed in the context of his, of his uh, research. Words of affirmation. That people feel loved by receiving words of affirmation. Acts of kindness. Acts of service. That, the, that, that another way that someone feels loved by, is by someone, by the other person doing kind things or doing acts of serving things, receiving gifts, physical, tangible gifts of some nature. Third language that often penetrates. Fifth, fourth, I should say, just spending quality time, just giving me the time that you would otherwise give to something else, giving it to me and spending that. And then the last, physical touch, tangible, tactile. Now, um, even those five, he even says in the book, is an oversimplification. There are a myriad of these, and we often don't, don't uh, we all, uh, and it was, and it was uh, revolutionary. It was, sort of, it was sort of groundbreaking in its day when it came out, because everybody's like, that's exactly me. You know, and so you've got, you've got a, a wife who puts flowers on her husband's uh, side table at his bed every morning, and he gets up and still feels unloved. But she's putting the flowers out there. She's giving, she's giving uh, gifts to him. And often the, way we, often the way we most best receive love is the way we most best give it. Hoping hoping that the other person gets what I'm communicating. That's, uh, you know, uh, this language of love is, and the key to language of love isn't, isn't the, the best way to use language of love. It's an oversimplification, and there's nothing biblical about it. There's not, I'm not, I'm not d describing it in any way as to say this is the way you ought to live, but there are certain tendencies of the human heart. There are certain tendencies of the, of the capacity. Part of, part of why it's helpful is if I can find out the language that my wife 
best hears. If I can understand, if I know she speaks French, great. All I have to do is learn French. That's wonderful. And if I speak Italian and, I'm, and she hears French, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can say all the, all the Italian I want in the most romantic fashion as possible. The Italian's pretty romantic. But if she's not, if she doesn't understand Italian, if she doesn't get Italian, if she gets French, then I better learn French if I want to make a connection. Doesn't mean I'd stop talking Italian. Hopefully she's learning Italian. And by the end of it, we're bilingual, trilingual. Isn't this fantastic? Isn't that how wonderful love ought to work in a beautiful, perfect, unblemished world where we're not tired? And the movies tell me love's supposed to be easy and I'm supposed to be able to fall in and out of it. I don't have to learn a stinking language. But the, the insights of understanding how a person receives love, we all give and receive love in various ways. It's great to know that, that Becky hears my love when she hears words of affirmation. It's great to know that my wife hears and receives my love when she gets acts of service done for her. I could give her a thousand gifts and she wouldn't hear a thing. It's just not her day. It's just not her gig. The reason I share this, this concept is because John, in, this, in his gospel, or in his letter, John is mingling together, weaving together word pictures. He's weaving together concepts, which I'm sure you saw in some of his repetitive use of language. It's a very short letter, but there are a number of, time, number of words he's using all the time. And you're going, John, it's only a short letter. Um, use more words. You're already only using 25, you know, what is it, 15 verses? 13? I can't see that, letter, that number. There's only 13 verses. But you're using the same words over and over again. And you probably picked up on it. He uses the word truth over and over again, first couple of verses. He uses the word love over and over again. He uses the word command over and over again. And what he's seeing, and even in that one little complicated section, he says, he says in verse 4, in verse four it, has been, it, has, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as our Father commanded us, and dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from old, and I ask you to love one another. Do you see how in that little short phrases, he's intermingling three different concepts. The concept of truth, the mind, the intellect. The concept of love, the idea of love, the heart, the affections. And the concept of command, obedience, righteousness. The will. Love involves the mind, a concept of understanding the truth, understanding what is right, understanding, understanding, knowing. Love involves the affections. It, it involves, it's a heart, it's a heart expression, not just an outward intellectual experience, but it's a, it's a heart reflection, a, a captivation. But it's also Love has to do with the will, too. The will of decision-making, the will of obedience, the will of, of surrendering, 
holding my own will captive to what is right. And the reason I bring up this concept of love languages is because the truth is, the truth about Becky, understanding her, knowing her, how she receives, the truth about how she receives love helps me That knowledge helps me to know how to set my affections upon her and for her to understand how those affections are coming from me. It helps me to know, okay, take for instance that concept. The knowledge, the truth, is that Becky enjoys and receives love most easily, most captivatingly through the the conduit of acts of service. Let's say, for example, um, in order for me to perform acts of service, so rather than take her to dinner and, and have candlelight and to, say, and to write poetry for her, which I might prefer, she'd rather me vacuum the floor. The thing is, is that my will, the will of my human heart, is easily led down the road of, of, uh, of candles and, and perfume and songs and touch. My will is easily led down that road, more easily walks down that road. In order to walk down the vacuum road, I have to, I have to, I have to uh, uh, bring my will under submission. I have to adjust my decision-making capacity. I have to adjust my will to live in harmony with the truth that is about her so that the affections of my heart can be easily understood. And the same is true with the Lord. The same is true as it relates to human exhibiting that sense of love to the people around us and to the world. The truth about God, he he gives us truth about himself. and and, And John goes in to say, some are out there not living that truth. They're not living in harmony with what is true. And it's not you take a little truth, you take a little love, and you take a little commands, and you mix them together, and you get a better sense of love. No, it's full truth, full love, Full, full commands, full obedience. It's not that we live in balance with them. It's we live in full tension of all of them together. What does it say of Jesus when he walked the earth? That he came. John even said this in his previous gospel. So he's, he's drawing from his own biography of Jesus. Is that he came, John chapter 1, he came to us. Jesus, the light, became flesh and was among us full, full, full of grace and truth, full of love and truth. Not, not an admixture. Not, not this concept of 50-50. Not, not you add a little of this and add a little of that. No, it's full of grace, full of truth, full of obedience. And yet we even see the complication. Jesus was full of truth, full of grace, full of truth, full of love, and yet, and, and his will still perfectly righteous, obedience, full of obedience, full of righteousness. And yet, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, long way from John chapter 1. At the end of the story, we see him in the garden saying what? Father, praying, praying about the conflict of will, praying about his own desires. Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. 
Let it be that I wouldn't have to go through this. Let it be. He's struggling with his will. He's bringing his own will into conformity with the will of God and yet doing that without sin. Doing that, in, to have that, to, ha, to exhibit his desires, to exhibit his sense of, and, and it says, James tells us that Jesus considered it all joy to go to the cross. So how is it in the garden that when he's faced with the condemnation of God's wrath, when he's faced with the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, how, and Jesus going to the cross, coming to the, coming to the earth in order to be perfect righteousness, to live a life of love, to surrender his will for the sake of his people, how is it possible that Jesus could have a conflict of will at that moment? Because love is complicated. And even, even that complication is exhibited in our Savior who considered it all joy to go to the cross for the sake of loving you and me, the, the, that the affections of his heart were, were, coming, were coming out. He, and, and yet full of truth, never, Jesus never winced from telling the truth to a person, never winced from telling the rich young ruler who came and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus, what must I, he says, we'll do all the commands. And the, I've done all that. And, and in the ignorance of that man saying, I've done everything, I've done all the, I've done everything you've commanded, Jesus, to tell Jesus, I've done everything, ignorant as that was, foolishness as that was, Jesus said, well, then sell everything you have. Surrender, surrender your riches. Never Never fail to tell someone the truth. There's a part of your heart you haven't given away. Jesus could have gone into the whole, well, let's examine the Ten Commandments now, rich young ruler. Let's look out. Are you really serious that you haven't, that you've been completely obedient, completely moral, that you've, that you've upheld this level of righteous will? Let's look at that. No, he didn't. He, he didn't. He could have gone into that, but he didn't. He just pierced into his idols. He pierced into his place of self-satisfaction and identity, pierced right into his riches and says, we'll sell everything and give it to the poor. And the man walked away. And Jesus let him walk away because he wasn't afraid to, to tell the truth. But Jesus never told the truth without it being loving because truth without love is not true. And love without truth is not, is not loving. But full of it, when Jesus was full of those things, the, the image of these three elements, love, truth, obedience. That's why John says later on uh, in, in verse 9, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in this teaching of Christ, you do not have the Father who continues, the, but if you continue uh, in this teaching, you have both the Father and the Son. What he's saying is, the teaching he's talking about is the teaching of love, the teaching of truth, the teaching of obedience. That three elements of the complication of love, those three, those three intermingled aspects of fullness, is perfectly represented in the person of Jesus. And so that, that, that uh, trinity of love trinity of the elements of love is perfectly displayed in the person of Christ. And so when he's talking about the teaching of love, the three elements of that, and the person of Christ, it's simultaneous. He's saying that these are the same thing. Jesus, that is the centrality of Christ. And he says the, that, that the danger comes, and he starts talking in very dangerous language. Deceivers, these people who come without the truth of Jesus, 
these people who run ahead of Jesus, who are trying to find something else instead of Jesus, that are looking to beyond the command of love, beyond the complexity of love, beyond truth, beyond love, beyond obedience. These people are deceivers. They are antichrist. Don't even welcome this idea. Don't even welcome this into your house. The reason he's talking about this so dramatically and so, uh, and so overwhelmingly and so judgmentally is because to lose the centrality of Christ is to lose everything about Christianity. It's to lose the whole story. If you don't keep Christ at the center, you lose everything. Paul, in, Paul, his fellow apostle, in his other letters, he talked about this most dramatically in the book of Galatians. And the way he talked about it was in Galatians, he talked about there are some coming to you, deceiving you, thinking that you have to add something to Christ, have to add something to the tripart uh, uh, commitment to love that he embodied, the fullest of truth, the fullest of of love, the fullest of obedience, uh, of his righteousness. He says there are some coming among you that are trying to dilute that message with adding on, of telling you that once you have that, there's more to be done. Paul uses the most dramatic language and says that these people should be emasculated, that they should be cast out from you. Don't ever go down this road. It is a consistent message of Scripture that if we lose the centrality of Christ, we have lost everything. That's why there's nothing more than Christ. There's nothing more than connecting. The gospel of God's grace, the gospel of the cross, at the, the place wherein love in its fullest of truth the flesh of Christ, the beauty of Christ, God incarnate, lived a completely full, obedient life, and then in his affections, doing that out of joy and out of an affection for his father and for his children. The place of the cross is where all three of those things blend. They kiss together in that capacity. There is nothing more than that. that. The centrality of the cross, the centrality of the gospel, the essence of Christianity in the gospel is is not is the ABCs of life, but it is also the A through Z. Tim Keller said that. There is no, there is nothing more. There is no, there is no Christianity 401. There is no advanced version. It is understanding the that's why he says, I'm not writing you a new command here. There's nothing new. Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? By one of the teachers of the law when he walked the earth. As if to sort of, you know, as we all do, we sort of want to simplify. Just, just help, me get, help me simplify it. <laughs> I've got only so many hours in the day. I've got to focus. I've got to get my attention written, you know, gone in a particular direction. And so the guy says, just tell me what the, what, what's the greatest thing. Let me focus on it. And Jesus says, all right, here's the greatest one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Love is the greatest commandment. He says, and there's another great commandment, just like it. The second one. Just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, love. That's why he says the command, the command, as you have heard from the beginning, this is in verse 5, 6, as you've heard from the beginning, his command is to walk in love. Walk, to walk in it. Put, get it. It's, it's taking it to the streets. Having received the love of God in its fullest of truth, in its fullest of love, in its fullest of, of, of righteous obedience, of surrendering, of, uh, of, of captivating the will 
and contorting the will to the truth of God. The commands of God that we have in Scripture are, yes, they are things that we need to be doing. They are things that we need to take seriously. But the commands of God are, are a reflection of his love language. God is telling us, do you want to know how I best receive love? Here they are. Here are the ways that you love me. Here are the ways, you know, here are the ways that you, that, that, that you, that you express your devotion to me. Here are the ways, that the, the conduits through which I understand and that you can, that you can best express your affection to me. That it's displaying his character. It's displaying his identity the commands of God, the truth of God. All of Scripture is an exploration of who He is and all of His beauty and all of His characteristics. And and it's taken me 30 years for a human being for me to get what her character is, what her her affections are, what her her sense of of likes and dislikes are. And and I know that if I go to the store and I want to show show some affection by buying her, oddly enough, a gift, a, a a pint of ice cream, don't bring home Rocky Road. But if I bring home peanut butter at Ripple, love. A connection is made. The more I know truth, the more my affections can connect and my will can contort complicated. John doesn't make it simple. It's simple, but it's also beautiful and, and diverse. And the same thing is true with the church and, with, and the way that the lady who is experiencing the love of Christ, how do I love him? How do I, how do I, how do I make this connection with him? How do I let my affections be known? intermingling, full of grace, full of truth, full of love, full of obedience. Understand, and, and, the, and, the, and we're all failing at all of those because we all only want it to be one. Or we have a tendency to want it to be one or the other. Even in a marriage. When Becky and I are in conflict, you know, the, 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 the marriage counselor, the, 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 I once went to a seminar that talked about marriage conflict at one point, and they were saying, when you're in the middle of an argument, would you prefer to be right or forgiven? Think about that for a moment. In the middle of an argument, would you rather be right or would you rather be forgiven? If truth be told, I most times would prefer to be right. Um, And that's me. In that moment, it's me setting truth ahead of love and ahead of righteousness. Obedience. And even in this passage, there's a sense where John is saying that the church, the lady that he's writing to, and her children that he's writing to, that they had set truth above other things too. Because he says, he says in verse 4, it has given me great joy to find that some of your children are walking in truth, just as God commanded us. So you're, you're walking in truth, you're walking in righteousness. He says, but I want to just share one thing. You've heard it before. This is from the beginning. Love. I have heard the church, I have heard Christians say, 
some of the most ungracious things when talking about grace. I have heard Christians, I have heard God's people say some of the most unloving things, unaffectionate things when it talks about the truth and righteousness of Jesus. And in those moments, the church and God's people are failing to live the complication of the intermingled nature of the fullness of all those things. And the person of Jesus. Jesus never spoke ungraciously about grace. He never spoke unlovingly about truth. He never talked about obedience in a way that tore down the truth of God or, or, or damaged the affection of his own joy for his people. He was all of them. Even to the point where he was willing to take on our untruth, take on our unrighteousness because of his great affection and his love. No greater love has any man than this than he lays down his life for his friends. That's what he says. And I think that John is, because he is the apostle of love, he's, he so easily sees how we quickly surrender our affections for the people around us and simply want to make them know what's right or do what's right rather than engage in a loving relationship to the fullness of rightness and truth through the person of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are full of all that we need. And even though it's a complicated process, even though it's a complicated, never-ending, lifelong, even something that we will go on discovering and exploring and reveling in in your heavens, it is the simplest of all things to love you. Father, teach us to get lost in the depth of it, to revel in its beauty, and to explore its depths. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name we pray. Amen.